ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Frather. It's the great Scott Show. He joined me yesterday, joining me again this morning. The great Mike Detillier. You hear him all over the place. Uh, his NFL draft guide is available now. Go to MikeDetillier.com. You can learn more about how to get it. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Detillier. You can learn more there as well. You know, we talked yesterday, Mike, mainly about the Saints and a little bit about the top of the draft, right, where the storyline really starts, whether it's who the Niners take or what the Falcons do. Um, and I wanted to kind of pick your brain today, Mike, about some of the, the local talent and just overall talent in this year's draft. Um, let's, let's start on the local side of things, if you don't mind. Elijah Mitchell, young man from Erath. I saw him play in high school. Great kid, loves to hunt and fish, and really uh, excelled at UL with a, you know, a deep group of running backs pretty much the whole time he was there. His pro day a few weeks ago where he's running a 4-3-2 or a 4-3-8, depending on who's recording it, um, I thought he improved his draft stock potentially by a round or two. What What is Elijah Mitchell? What have you read? What have you seen? Where do you think he goes in the upcoming draft in terms of round? And just your overall thoughts on him as a pro prospect. I think he's a mid-round pick. Um, I think in the eyes of some people who hadn't seen a lot of Raging Cajun football, it certainly helped himself. He lost some weight. And um, I get it. You know, he he wanted to run fast uh, for the scouts, and he did that. Um, he had always, to me, been more of a north-south power runner. He had some giddy-up in the step, but not that type giddy-up. Um, and so, you know, losing the weight certainly helped him. And you're right. He's been part of that rotation that we've seen with the Raging Cajuns, and it, it was it's a real good one. So I think he's a late third, early fourth-round pick. Um, so I'd put him as a middle-round selection. Running backs are devalued, like it or not, it is what it is. Um, you know, I think teams just – you may have a couple running backs going round one this year, and one of them being Travis Etienne, um, along with Najee Harris and young man from North Carolina. I think we'll all be, you know, top 40 picks. But it's just part of the game today. Uh, you, you know, we saw one running back pick last year in round one. That was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So um, I think Elijah is the type of guy that can come in here and help you. He's been part of a rotation. He's learned how to catch the football pretty well coming out of the backfield, which helps. But his speed and his and, – because I think he'll gain some of that weight back. So he'll be in – back to being more of the power runner um, that we saw with the Raging Cajuns. But uh, I think he certainly helped himself out in the eyes of coaches who did, who's not sitting around watching college football, mm -hmm. you know, on a Thursday night or Wednesday night or a Saturday afternoon. So I put him as a late third, early fourth round pick. You're right. Erath high school man and, put up some big numbers there. And so, man, you know, you think about all those backs, you know, from the state of Louisiana, and sometimes you wonder, how did LSU miss out? You know, who, who's, who's doing the evaluation here uh, on, on the running backs on that particular part? And, uh, you know, he got hurt as a junior, you know, at ERAF. And still – what he rushed, I think it was for like 1,900 yards. Incredible. Yeah, just a phenomenal And so, and so you know, again, his receiving skills certainly helped him. Here's a guy who averaged over six yards a rush. You know, he caught, he, you know, he caught 49 passes in his college career, which isn't a lot of throws, but you consider the fact that he is part of that rotation, you know, it's a, and 41 rushing touchdowns. Man, that, that's a lot of rushing touchdowns. But I always considered him to be this tough, hard-nosed guy that, you know, is a north-south guy, very patient, um, had that low center of gravity. It's hard to knock off his pegs. And he's got good speed. I thought he's always had it, but it was sort of underrated 
but he, you know, he got down. I don't know what he was before. It was maybe closer to two twenty. Yeah. Then you know, so he jumped I, all I, that weight. It, what he was, he said that at his heaviest, he told me he was playing at around two eighteen. He yeah. said last year he played mainly at around two thirteen, but when he went to Texas to train for the com for not the combine for the pro day, he got all the way down to two oh one. And like you mentioned, he just did it because he's like, look, I. Basically, I mean, essentially, look, you go train for a pro day. They tell you 40 time matters, so let's train for that. And and it worked out. Now, he did all of the drills really good in his defense. But he, he told me, Mike, straight up, he's like, yeah, I'm I'm planning on adding about 10 more pounds back. Oh, yeah. Know? like he's yeah, he, So he, I think he said ideally he'd love to be around 212, 213 in terms of his playing weight. Yeah, because I've talked to Deuce about this, and he was like, you know, my weight sort of fluctuated. Uh, quite a bit as a as a pro there were some years I was lighter than others some years I felt maybe I should put on an extra seven or eight pounds and so you get it with backs they they, they kind of run the scale but he lost quite a bit of weight and you could tell with his time and I think if you fast you can cut a couple of clips off now first of all you got to be fast to begin with I, I can't make me be fast again, okay? Um, maybe once was, but not anymore. Not on your feet anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so I can't take a guy who's running a 4.7 and make him a 4.4 guy. But I can take a guy who maybe was a 4.4.6 guy, a 4.4.7, and get him down to around 4.4, 4.3.9. See, that, that's... A lot of times with technique, you can do it a little bit and also with a little lighter weight. But you're right. He's going to pick that back up. But, uh, you know, he's got a nose for the end zone, and I think the NFL likes that. He's he's just got a knack for getting in there, and he's improved as a receiver coming out of the backfield, which is a big part of the NFL today, of being able to catch the football. You got Trey Regis, who um... – you know, at a young age, was was playing behind Fournette in like the seventh grade, and goes to Shaw and uh, and was a stud. And I remember, look, he signed when when Mark Husbeth was still the coach at UL and uh, redshirted his freshman year. But I remember the staff that day on signing day, they all told me they're like, uh, they said this on and off the record. So you know, you know, and this wasn't HUD; these were some of the assistants that I had close relationships with. They said. This is the guy we're probably most excited about in this class. We're really glad we have him here because we think he can be good. You know, the four years that he played, Mike, he just was so consistent. And no, his 40 time doesn't jump off the page. And he wasn't asked to catch the ball a ton in college. But when he was, he caught it. He has good hands. He was just a great teammate and a guy that I don't think I don't think he's going to get drafted. Now, you you might know more than me, but... I would not bet against him in terms of being a UDFA that can make a roster because Coach Napier said, he told me, he said, look, Scott, this isn't, you know, Trey's not, he's not always hitting home runs, but he's going to consistently hit singles and doubles, consistently. Like, he's not a guy that, you know, if it was baseball, his on-base percentage is high. Uh, what do you make of Regis as a prospect in your analysis, and do you feel like he can play at the next level? Yeah, and I think he'll get picked late. Okay. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, I first saw when he was at Archbishop Shaw. And um, he put up some big numbers there, you know, where I think as a, and as a junior was over 1,800. As a senior, it was over 1,900 yards rushing. Um, I think the last two years, it's like 44 rushing touchdowns. So, you know, he was a really productive high school player. Um goes to UL, and then gets redshirted. He had some injuries early on. He's a north-south power runner who is, he's got good field vision. He's patient. Uh, it's rare that you have seen him brought down in the backfield for a loss. Keeps his legs churning constantly after initial contact. And you're right, he can catch the ball. He hasn't been throwing the football a lot, but he catches it well coming out the backfield. Um, he's going to have to learn how to maybe become a more precise route runner, but I like his physical nature and his ability to run between the tackles. The other part about it, 
<clears throat> thinks a big plus for him is that this is situational football and short yardage red zone. He's really good. And I think that's a plus for him. Of that ability on that third and one and a half to get you two yards, two and a half yards. You know, and he there are some guys that just have a knack for it. And he does. Same thing in the red zone. So I think he's a later round pick, but uh, I think he's a guy that is going to become a better receiver at the professional level. But he can catch the ball. And why I say it is in watching him, he is not a body snatcher. He doesn't catch the ball up against his body. He catches it out front with his hands like you would want. A lot of times guys struggle with it. And this happened to ATN when I first saw him come out of high school. He fought it. He, he fought caught catching the ball. Everything was up against his body. So what does that mean? You catch it up against the body, they hit you, the ball's out of there. When you watch Regus, he catches the ball out front, pop, with his hands. And so uh, he'll do well there. And, and I like that short yardage, red zone, power running skills. You know where I think he'd be a great fit? 49ers. In that they run a lot of these type plays in that zone blocking offense that would spring him loose, so to speak. Stretch it out, and then he cuts back inside and string it loose. We see the Packers do a lot of the same sort of things. To be honest, what the Titans do is similar in that with Derek, a lot of times they're not just running him into the pile. They try to run it wide, and they let Derek get a vision, and then he cuts it up inside. And so and you think about what Atlanta's going to run now. I think Trey would be a good fit there, too, with Smith. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's a late-round pick, and I, and I like him a lot. I've had – he's not the most asked about Louisiana player that I get asked about, but he would be in the top three, and more so than Elijah. Really? And that's not a surprise because I think most people now have a pretty good feel on Elijah Mitchell. I think Trey being a later-round pick – they get, they're trying to get a little better feel. And a lot of times when I get that phone call, it's not from a scout that has primarily scouted the South. He's a double-check scout. He's a guy from Midwest, Big East, Pac-12, and he's double-checking on a player. And so, um, But he would be in the top three. And so it's interesting. That, but I think there are certain offenses he, he would fit very, very well in. What what players do you get asked the most about, Mike? For this year? Yeah. Easy. Jacoby Stevens from LSU. It's not even a debate. <laughs> not even a debate. So what what is it about Jacoby where he's I, the obvious? He's player? hybrid. There you go. Because there's no defined position. Man, I got I got yelled at pretty good by a twenty one year old young man couple years back, because I wrote in the book, I thought he was a hybrid player. He's turned out to be a really good NFL player. And he's called me and apologized for it. Because he was like, Mr. Dettilia, I was like, yeah. He said, you know, I shouldn't have kind of got on you. Hybrids made me a rich man. <laughs> I was like, I try to tell you. But he thought I was knocking him. Sure. And, and I, you know, I understood fully, and I understand sometimes your emotions as a 21-year-old. and But, you know, he's been good, and, um, you know, he sent me his jersey and autographed it for me and everything. And so, he's, you know, it was just that moment in time. He was upset with me. Sure. Uh, but uh, Jacoby is hybrid on defense in the fact that I want him closer to the line of scrimmage than deep in the secondary. I think that's his best game. And I talked to Ed about this. He's like, hey, T-Boy, I'm telling you, we got to get him next to the line of scrimmage. Uh, we got to get him there. His, his run defense, his ability to rush the quarterback. 
And he sort of built like a guy that would be kind of part linebacker, part safety. Uh, where he's had difficulties is his reaction skills to a ball thrown over the top, where he's not super quick to get out of transition and to make a beeline toward the football. Anything thrown in front of him, he does a good job. So he's good in the, in the short matchup situation with a back or a tight end um, on the quick passes. Uh, he's become better, I think, uh, as an open field tackler. A lot of times he was going high. And I saw the same thing with Jabril last year. I don't know what they were teaching him. But <laughs> you can't go high on a guy because he's going to drag you. Jacoby's become better. He's a strong guy. Uh, you know, for a 220-pound guy, he's really strong. And he's got really good hands for the interception. The fact of the matter is, as a freshman, he played wide receiver at LSU. And people forget that, but as a freshman, he played wide out because he was an offensive player, too, um, as a prepster. So he gets the most about of where do you think he's best. And I think really where he's good is coming off the edge as a blitzer. Uh, in a situation where you know you got to blitz somebody, man, he, he's really good at it. Um, and I'm surprised they didn't do it more last year with him. Now, that pass rush was a little erratic, but he clear-cut with him, only because he sort of fits that mode of where are you going to play him, okay? <clears throat> He's not great just sitting there in center field, and he plays the ball when it's thrown deep over, over the back of his shoulder. He's good with stuff in front of him. And, he's, and I think he getting a little physically stronger will help him as an open to be a hybrid player. Uh, okay, you're getting paid pretty good to be a hybrid player. Uh, okay, you're getting paid pretty good to be a hybrid player. Uh, but, say, four years ago, that really wasn't the case. And so uh, um, I think for Jacoby, it is clear-cut. He's number one. And then it would be Milton about. Louisiana guy, and then it would be Milton Williams uh, from Louisiana Tech uh, would be the number two player. Um, he's from Frisco High School in Texas. He played defensive, defensive tackle with uh, Louisiana Tech with the Bulldogs. I don't think he gets out of round two. Yeah, Milton Williams, a lot of these boards have him ranked as the top defensive tackle prospect uh, obviously, you think pretty highly of him as well. Yeah, I, I think a lot of them. I think Barmore is going to be the top guy uh, from Alabama. He's a little risky in that if you watched him early on last year, and I'm pals with Pete Jenkins, who actually mentored him. Because, uh, man, Pete, um, I could tell him he worked both sides of the street. Uh, he works with the defensive linemen at Georgia, Kentucky, Alabama. Um, uh, let me see who else. Uh, I, I know he's worked with the Giants, Cowboys, you know. Whoever whoever can cut the check, uh, Jenkins is there. Gotcha, gotcha, right. <laughs> Jenkins right. is there. So, he, but him and uh, Nick Saban are, are very close. And um, so before the season started, you know, he went in there, worked with Barmore and the line, I think for about, I think he told me eight days. And uh, he came back, he was like, hey, I'm going to tell you something. Christian can play. He said, but somebody got to stay on, I'm going to clean it up a little bit. Somebody got to stay on him 24-7. Because he's the type of guy that if he if you let him be, you know, he said he's not uh, as mature as he's going to be. But he got to realize how good he is. He's immensely talented. First three games of the year, and then I have him on regular. And he's like, uh, man, Barmore, he got to get off his butt. You know, he can he can do better than that. And then all of a sudden, by midseason, he sent me a text. Hey, you seen Barmore? I was like, I sure did. By the end of the year, he was as good a defensive tackle as they had playing in college football. He wasn't good. He was dominant. And the light clicked on for him. You know, and sometimes it happens like that. 
you get an immensely talented guy, and all of it comes together. You watch the national championship game. He wasn't good. <laughs> he was dominant. That's why he won the defensive MVP. He was in the backfield, you know, more than anybody for Ohio State was. So, um, I, but you can see he's got talent. Now, I think he's got to be pushed a little bit. And, you know, you, you're getting coached by Saban and Jenkins. <laughs> uh, no one thing, you're getting pushed um, and shoved, so to speak. Uh, but um, he, he is, to me, Barmore's clear-cut the best defensive tackle. But Milton's interesting in that he could play inside in a 4-3. He could play end in a 3-4. <clears throat> now, where I think he's more dangerous than anything is on obvious passing situations. I put him at defensive tackle. He will out-athletic any guard that tries to block him. There ain't nobody that's going to match up to, to Milton. And, and he can run like hell. He's strong. And his foot speed and his quickness to get off the line of scrimmage. And he's just a sort of a football puppy uh, in that he was a track athlete, basketball player, and was playing baseball. And he said, you know what my best position was? Shortstop. Now, can you imagine a dude that 17 years old, he's six foot three, and, you know, he's 225 pounds playing shortstop. Crazy athleticism. Um, ain't a lot. Ain't a lot of guys like that walking around. Uh, but it goes to show his athleticism, of how his reach and play shortstop. Man, you got to cover a lot of area. Yeah. And but but I like guys that have played baseball. I I just think that there is a certain skill set to that that sometimes equates well to football. But you know, he grew into that big body. If you watched him at Louisiana Tech. Tech is more known for their offense, for their ability to throw the football, that sort of thing, spread the field out. But, uh, man, Milton was a guy that was from lightly to middle range recruited because he was a, just a tall, skinny guy. He hadn't filled out. And I got film on him, not for Tech, but for another team, another college in Louisiana. And I had a coach that give me a – I was like, all I know is – He's going to fill out that body. He's, he's got some skills. <clears throat> no more than a couple of days after I did that, I got a phone call from Skip Holtz. And he was like, hey, I got a kid from Frisco, Texas. I said, Milton Williams, he said, how'd you know? I'm like, I just saw him. Um, and there was another school in state looking at him. And he was like, wow, okay. He said, what do you think? Uh, so... Uh, he ends up at Louisiana Tech, had a really good career there, and so he's a versatile guy. And that, that's another thing, too. Guys at one point used to kick about, if you use that term, versatility on them. Now it's, it's big. But he can play both inside or out on the edge. Uh, but um, if you've got a 314 with a stand-up outside linebacker, he can play in. He can give you some pressure. He's, he's really good at it. He's gotten much better as a technician using his hands, uh, coordinating with his feet well. So, uh, yeah, he's a guy that back in January nobody would have known. If, if I'd have said Milton Williams, most people would have said, who's Milton Williams? They, they would have had no idea. Same thing as I wrote an article about Greg Newsom from Northwestern. People was like, who's Greg Newsom? I, I never heard of no Greg Newsom from Northwestern before. Now, every time you know I, I look on the Internet, they got a story about Greg Newsom. So, um, he must have uh, – everybody's Columbus with him. Things are picking up. Mike Dettelier, our guest, ESPN1420.com. The NFL draft round one is a week from this Thursday, and um, the rest of the draft follows in the coming weekend. But it's right around the corner. Mike talking about draft prospects from the state of Louisiana, talking Milton Williams, Greg uh, Newsom. We mentioned Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell, Jacoby Stevens as well. You said Travis Etienne. I know he played at Clemson, but the Jennings product, I think he'll be the first running back taken. You, you told me yesterday, Mike, and and I've read this a lot of places, and that it's a it's a deep year for a wide receiver. Um, and uh, you know, there's a Heisman winner who played high school ball in Louisiana. There's a guy that helped win a national championship at LSU. 
in Jamar Chase. I mean, you've got some Louisiana flavor at that position. Who is, in your mind, the top wide receiver prospect in this draft? And, and you know, the follow-up question is, is there is there another receiver from the state of Louisiana that you think can have a productive pro career that's just not getting discussed very much right now? Well, Jamar is my number one-ranked receiver, and he's the highest-ranked receiver I have ever ranked coming out of LSU, 36 wow. years. Higher ranked than Odell, higher ranked than Jarvis, higher ranked than Michael Clayton. Um, man, just something about him, his run-after-catch skills, uh, his intensity toward the game, his focus. He's all football. <laughs> You know, he, he's got that laser beam type concentration for playing. And he's really good. Um, and, man, he's talented, really talented. Uh, so, you know, he's he's going to be, you know, in that top five, six, seven, uh, depending on how it breaks down with the quarterbacks. But uh, tremendous player. Uh, again, the highest-ranked receiver I have ever done coming out of LSU. And uh, I told this to Coach O, he, he's like, Mike, you ain't got no argument with me. Uh, he said, no, nah, he said some of these other yahoos you might have an argument with, but you ain't got an argument with me on that. Um, Terrace Marshall, um, you know, God bless him. Man, I knew his uncle, Joe Delaney. You know, at that time, you know, Joe was on that same Northwestern State team as Bobby Bear, Coach O, from my neck of the woods. Uh, you know, Gary Reasons, who you see now on television uh-huh. as an announcer. Gary was on that team. Good Mark Duper, uh, the wide receiver, played all those years with the Miami Dolphins, was on that football team. So, uh, man, I don't know who messed up the state of Louisiana. Was... Recruit. Well, Gary's a Texas guy, <laughs> but I don't know who messed up in Louisiana. But uh, uh, all those guys end up at Northwestern State. And poor Joe, man, he caught hell there. And it was always teasing him about one thing and another. And um, i never forget uh, Ed's dad, Mr. Bebe, he brings a pig, and they do a bouchardie before a Northwestern game. <laughs> and uh, and he's cutting up that pig, and they uh, made hoghead cheese. And they didn't have anything to put it in, but uh, Ed's mom and dad had a little fruit stand where they would sell uh, f- fruits that they would grow in their garden. And uh, Miss Coco would give you a snow cone. You know, you bought a certain amount of uh, fruit. You know, she gave you a little snow cone. And so they had snow cone. They had the, the cap, you know, you put the snow cone in. Put the uh, I, uh, snow cone in. And so they were putting uh, this hot hoghead cheese in that snow cone. Well, Joe Delaney had never eaten that before. Eat that hot, dude. What did it do to your system? Well, let me tell you, I saw Joe run the fastest 40-yard time. <laughs> You could imagine, <laughs> but man, Joe, Joe was—they <laughs> set him up, man, That's big awful. time. That's all. That's funny. Um, but Joe, <laughs> just a great guy, AFC Rookie of the Year, and, and you know, tragically dies trying to rescue some kids. It, it, that's not a shock. He was a guy that, man, total team player, and you know, passing away. You know, God wanted him uh, because he was a good man in life. And, um, you know, Terrace, you know, being the, the nephew, and uh, he stayed healthy last year, and we saw it, just how good of a player he was. He's a big man receiver with some speed, and he catches the ball at the high point, and he's fearless. He'll go over that middle and make a tough catch. And he's got some giddy-up, uh, you know, but he had some injuries, had it started as a senior in high school, and then sort of as a freshman he got hurt. As a sophomore he gets hurt. And then, you know, he becomes the guy last year. And, man, boy, you saw everybody rotating coverage toward Terrence, and he was still making it play after play after play. And you, you couldn't stop him. You just couldn't stop him. But here's the crazy part. We had a pitch-and-catch camp here. Uh, in Thibodeau. And who was at the camp was Jamar Chase. Devontae Smith was at was uh, at meet at that time. We had Terrace. Okay. Terrace comes. And, you know, he was at Parkway High School. So we had those three guys. All three of those guys are going to end up in round one. 
And, you know, the first two receivers off the board are going to be, you know, Jamar and Terrace. I mean, and and, uh, and Devontae. Yeah. And it, to look at yeah. Devontae, the first time you see him, you're like, man, that's a skinny little dude. But <laughs> you watch him, and, man, he just sort of takes your breath away as a player. He reminds me so much of... I grew up in the 70s. I watched Lynn Swan. That's who he reminds me of. And that Lynn wasn't a big receiver. He's certainly not running the anchor on the 4 by 400 meter relay team. But, man, he could make one big play after another. His ability to contort his body. But here's the crazy part. Who else was at that camp? Marquez Stevenson from Houston. Marquez was from Northwood High School uh, and, and Shreveport. He was a big-time recruit there. Uh, for whatever reason, LSU didn't go after him, but I, he tells me, man, Arizona State, Utah, TCU, uh, Missouri, Baylor, Mississippi State, they were all after him. He was at that camp. DeMonte Coxey uh, from Memphis, who was football player, track athlete, had started out his high school career at Terra High School, but then, as a senior goes to East St. John, he is being, he was close, had he had his grades right, to being at a level like Terrace Marshall. But he had some great issues. He commits to LSU. At the final moments, uh, Coach Miles pulls the scholarship back because he doesn't have his grades. He gets his grades right. Uh, LSU tries to get in at the final moments, but I think he, you know, he's been brushed a little bit. So I'm not going there. Who tries to jump in late? Nick Saban. But Nick wanted him to play safety. Yeah. And so he ends up at Memphis. He was there, DeJean Dixon from Nickel State. He was there also. Uh, DeJean was at Edna Carr, and who else was there was Racy McMath. <laughs> so we had all these guys. That's wild. Thomas Landry st- standing next to me. And the first four guys up to catch the ball were Jamar, Devontae, Terrace Marshall, and Marquez Stevenson. <laughs> and Jarvis hits me. Because my cousin Tim was the head coach at Lutcher when he was there. So he was like, hey, coach. He said, I'm going to take them four. You can take the rest. I'm going home. <laughs> and he, he walked away from the group. After, I mean, all of them, they'd catch anything thrown to them. No matter where it was thrown, they would catch it. But that was Landry's comment. Hey, I'm going to take them four. You can take the rest. Go ahead. Let's, let's, let's play now. Go ahead. You yeah. know, I mean, it was unbelievable to see that type talent all in one spot. Playing all from the state of Louisiana, amazing to me. That's amazing. Um, and so all those guys got a chance to get picked, every one of them. Uh, and uh, you know, the, you know, Coxie was a guy that was interesting because had he had his grades right, that would have been an LSU Alabama showdown for him. It just he he, he had difficulties in a, a couple classes and couldn't get it right, uh, but he did get it right at the end. And then both came running, but his relationship with the coach at uh, Memphis got him to go there. Had a great junior year. Only played a couple games last year. Talk about a guy that can run. Former track athlete, high high hurdler, um, a guy that can make a play over the top of people. Really good eye-hand coordination. And I think he's one of the sleepers in this draft class. If you guys are enjoying Mike Dettelier, this is just a a teaser, a small taste of what you can get in his draft report for the 2021 draft. It's available now. You can order it online, MikeDettelier.com. Follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Dettelier. But just so much great content there. And I love it after the draft as well because I reference it a ton when I'm looking at – there's a lot of other goodies in there is my point, just at all the the breakdowns, the scouting – I have two more questions for you, Mike, and we really appreciate the time yesterday and again this morning. This is my last 
question regarding just specifically <laughs> this year's draft. Um, and it's one that, you know, it probably won't take you long to answer, but in your mind, who is the best overall prospect at any position? Kyle Pitts from draft? Florida. And, and, and is, is it close or is that easy for you? Well, I answered it real quick. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, it's easy. easy. <laughs> um, he's the best tight end I have ever graded 36 years. Ooh. Now, the, 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 number two, the, the number one guy, and he held that position for a long time, his name is Tony Gonzalez. He's in Pro Football's Hall of Fame. And that's who I would comp him toward. He is similar to Tony coming when Tony, you know, Tony was a basketball player at Cal. Uh, did play football, was a good player, but you could see he had some upside to his game. And once he would concentrate on football, he was going to be special. And that's what you see with Kyle. He's a big man, athlete, uh, great size, tremendous foot speed, outstanding hands, eye-hand coordination, jumping skills. But what jumps out at me, it's similar to Gonzalez, is that he's got the ability to reach outside his body zone and make a catch. Copped. You know, the ball's there. Cow. He catches it. And it's like, man, you know, he gets those big, long arms out there, and he can make a catch other guys just dream about. And he, he's got that. So I think about, you know, he doesn't play against LSU last year. He plays against Alabama, so they they scheming to stop him, and yet they you know no one you might have slowed him down a little, but you didn't stop him. I mean he he's just an unbelievable prospect, and in today's world where you can't really mess with a receiver, you know other than that five yard area, and you better get your hands on him quick and reroute him. If not, he'll fly right by you. Because he's got track sprinter type speed. It was a guy who was a defensive end outside linebacker in high school. And so he still has some upside to his game. Is he a great blocker? No, but I really could care less. He's a getting away type of guy. He's an angle blocker. Okay, I get you. And you're not making the play. He sort of catches you. Is he. This bullish guy, no. I, I don't need for him to do that. All I need for him to do is to wall that guy off, and then my back's up the field. But his receiving skills as a tight end are special, special. <laughs> and again, I've only seen one guy like him, and that was Gonzalez. High praise from Mike Dettelier. Um My last question for you, Mike, is something I was thinking about <clears throat> I guess sometime in the last few months, and I was like, this is a question I'd, I'd love to pick Mike's brain about. Um, and and it, it kind of popped up last week when I don't remember who it was, a scout or someone on Twitter is like, yeah, you know, never trust a word you get from a coach. And then um, someone, I think Lewis Riddick was like, I guess you have different relationships with coaches. But it, it was about, you know, trying to scout a prospect. And you know, you've worked, whether it be in the scouting industry and, and certainly the, the sports media industry and sports radio for so many years and, you know, a number of decades, Mike, it's, it's you have a lot of relationships, right? It, it doesn't happen overnight. It's built over time and it's built with trust. What, what in your mind is, is the key to establishing that relationship in this business where, you know what, if I ask this coach a question, it might, he might give me an answer on or off the record, but I know that the answer is going to be legitimate. Like he's not – because as long as you've done it, Mike, I'm sure there have been some coaches that just gave you some hogwash. You're like, you know what, I, I, I guess, guess I don't trust that guy, right? And there's plenty that you have good relationships with. So what's the key to establishing those relationships over time and building that trust factor where you know they can call me, I can call them, we can text each other – and you know what? I'm going to get a real answer here. I think if they feel you know what you're talking about, you're going to get the right answer. Um, there are coaches, and one just got back into coaching a few years back. He's never told me one bad thing about a player. And I know that there's been negative about that player. 
but he ne- he will never bring it up, never. So what's? Why would I call him? <laughs> He's never going to give me a good answer. So I, I I stopped, you know, and he became in the television world and got back in uh, to being a head coach. And God bless him, he, great guy. It's just that he cannot give you a good answer on a player. Just can't. Um, and he will never say a negative about a player. Never. I'm wasting my time with him. And we respect one another very much. It's, that's his nature as a, as a head coach. He does not want to say anything negative about a player. Well, some coaches, it's all negative. They never give you nothing positive about a player. They'll always tell you the negative, which I don't mind, to be honest, because I think they understand the pro game is looked at differently. But I, I've always believed this, and Randy Mueller and I, we, we've spoken, and one of the things he's told me, I always respected you because you knew what you were talking about. You know, he said they got other guys in this business. You know, they just talk to talk, you know. And, you know, what, one of the things we laughed about because there are certain people about, well, if you're not a five-star recruit, you can't play in the NFL. You can't play major college football. That's silly. <laughs> and which, which you know is, is untrue. Yeah. But, but, it, but it's part of the narrative, you know, that they beat their chest on this. This is why you don't win because you don't have enough five-star recruits. No, everybody would love to get the highest-ranked player. But it's not all those guys turn out great. And when you look at draft time, when I do the book, I always will put it on there, two-star, three-star, four-star, whatever. I, I try to tell you a little bit about their story. So many of these guys just had a handful of scholarships, just a handful, and yet they're playing, going to play at the highest level. So uh, I think for general managers, um, I think for them, if they have respect for you or a scout, they have respect for you and what you do, you normally get a very good answer for them. One of the things they probably know better than I do, and I should say most of the time do, is medicals. And uh, that is now guarded pretty closely today. Uh, and I get it. You can get in a lot of trouble by leaking medicals. Um, there's some HEPA laws that you're going to break. Um, so... You know, the player tells you or his attorney tells you or his agent tells you, that's one thing. But if you've dug into something and it wasn't said and he doesn't admit it, you can get yourself in a little bit of trouble for that. Now, again, somebody getting in trouble, too, is the other part. Um, You know, for for some young men, you know, know, they, they maybe had trouble past them at 16, 17 years old. Uh, and some even beyond that. And so do you write that? Uh, do you not? So you have to make that choice because it's, it's open, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's on record. Do you write that? And, you know, there have been guys that have had troubles before and, and matured from that. So it's, man, um, Knowing a little bit about their background, for me, I think is the biggest thing. And one of the best compliments I ever got was when I first started doing this, uh, Hokey had retired as a player. And so we meet up one day at the same campus. Uh, we're at southeastern Louisiana in Hammond. And he told me, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you know the way you write that up in that book? I said, yeah. He said, it's exactly supposed to, that's exactly how you're supposed to do it. He said, it's not the way I do it, but it's, that's how you're supposed to do it. I said, okay, I get it. And I, 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 I gathered what he was trying to tell me. Hey, I, I know you know what you're talking about. Yep. And I, I like the fact that you're writing this up and giving some background about their life, about some genetics about their high school career, about productivity, because there's not a lot of guys playing in this league that were not productive 
as college players, but they became great pros. There are only a handful of those guys. And it doesn't matter if you're a one-star recruit, five-star recruit. Now, when people start beating the, the chest about, you know, five stars or the only guys that make it, you can tell that guy has no clue what he's talking about. None. None. Because when you look at the rosters, it's not it. I think last year they did a deal uh, come Super Bowl Sunday, and on the rosters there were two five-star recruits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I bring and, those things up so all the time. To yeah. me, what – Okay, these aren't the two best teams in football playing. Right. And and yet, this is the song you want to sing to everybody because you think you know better. You understand when you do this, and I get so many people tell me, man, I didn't realize he he wasn't that highly recruited. And it is part of their story. And one of the things the NFL does, Scott, I think really well, they had a commercial a few years back. There's 1,850 stories in the NFL, and all of them are different. And it's the best line they've got. And that's the, that's the God's honest truth. You know, all of those guys came into this league in a different manner. Uh, Tom Brady hit this league differently than Patrick Mahomes. Clyde Edwards-Alaire hit this league differently than Leonard Fournette. Um, you know, Mike Evans, the story I tell about Mike is, had Mike not signed with Texas, now Mike was a basketball player, was more of a basketball player than a football guy, played football the last two years. Mike verbally committed to Tulane, and then Texas A&M came at the last moments and got him. Mike was not a heavily recruited player. Yeah, Look what type of player, you know, he is now you know, in the National Football League. How all these guys, Ali Marpet, uh, he would have been a one-star recruit. Deron Armstead, he'll always laugh about, you tell him about, okay, what kind of, and he's like, is there a zero? You know, is <laughs> that Arkansas Pine Bluff? Is there a zero on that star? You know, and he's starting in the NFL. Ryan Ramchak was at a vocational college. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many of those guys, Drew Brees, you know, coming from the Texas high school ranks, and, and Drew will always laugh about, that was nobody in Texas other than a couple of the middle range, like he says, middle range schools at that time, that offered. Texas weren't, wasn't after him. A&M was not after him. He goes to Purdue because he knew they were going to throw the football. It fit what he did very, very well. And it, it's all different. You know, you know, it's 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 amazing to see it. And but if you know that and their story and sometimes it's what fuels them, it, it really is what fuels their fire that, hey, you didn't want me. I'm going to show you just how good I am. OK, and for some guys, it didn't matter if they were a one or a five star recruit and their fire burns red hot every play no matter what it's it's really the story of sports that makes it so intriguing uh not everybody's lebron james okay not everybody's peyton manning coming out of high school that there are so many in-betweens in there in what makes a prospect play and you know it's um I have a gentleman who uh, actually got hired by his wife and the personal photographer for Tom Brady and Giselle is actually a guy from Dulac, Louisiana. Wow. Went to Nichols State, worked with an older gentleman, did a runway model show a few years back when Giselle was still modeling, took pictures. She liked the pictures so much. He was on a hunting trip, not, not, that, not that he was a hunter, but they hired him to take pictures. There were a whole bunch of mountain lions out either in Montana or in South Dakota that had gotten loose, and they were looking for people to, to kind of peck them off because they were killing cattle and buffalo, everything else. So these guys, man, we, we, they got you know the, the right licensing, everything else to go kind of clip them off. They bring him along to be their photographer. He gets a call 
He's in Montana at this time. And the lady at the front desk tells him, hey, um, there's a call that just came in for you. It's a woman, Giselle Bunchen. <laughs> and he's like, come on, somebody's <laughs> pulling my leg. And she said, well, here's the number. So he says, you know, I got my cell phone. I call, and she picks it up. When can you be in New York? I love the pictures you took at the runway uh, model show that I was in. And, and would you consider uh, coming because I have a runway model show in, it was in Paris, France. And he was like, man, if this is a hoax, this is a really good one. And so got on a plane, flew to New York, bang. Life changed overnight. The last time he ever went to Nickel State. Uh, he was 22 years old at that time. Did, had not finished. Had not finished school. And so, you know, you never know. He, As he told me, Mike, every time I hear you talk about that, was I a five-star recruit photographer? Nope. I was in the right place, right time, and I did my job. And so, um, interesting. He's got some great stories with him traveling with Giselle and Tom throughout the years, and but it goes to show you they got a Cajun somewhere in the bunch. No, no matter where you no go, where. no matter where <laughs> you go, them. Mike, where uh, you travel, you find them. Mike Detillier, uh, full of great stories, and and that's you know that's my one of my favorite things in this job is when you get, uh, you know, when I'm interviewing a, you know a player, a coach, and I get a little more time with them, and it it goes beyond the surface of well, you know, we got to play harder. This I love the story aspects of it. And, and that's one of the great things you do in your job and with the draft report is, like you said, telling those stories. Guys, uh, MikeDetillier.com, get your draft report for 2021, full breakdown. It is the draft Bible, in my opinion. And um, follow him on Twitter, at MikeDetillier. He talked to us yesterday morning. We covered the Saints and the top of the draft. Today it was about the prospects at UL, LSU, Northwestern State, Louisiana Tech, and all the great talent from the boot. Mike, I appreciate it, man. You're always so generous with your time. I feel like I could talk to you for hours, man, and hear more stories, but uh, I know you got a lot of work to do, so we'll let you run, and um, I uh, hopefully I get to talk with you again sometime 